We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. My wife Jane and I are blessed that you decided to join us. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrative videos, prayer, and weekly message.
Everything else is shaking, Lord. My hiding place, my strong tower, refuge, my hiding place. Oh, yes, you. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you today on behalf of the body of Christ. Father, as we look into the book of Revelation, we discover when the Lamb broke the fifth seal. You said that when John saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. In our world today, Lord, as you well know, there are many Christians who have been persecuted because of your word their position, and their indwelling life in Christ Jesus. We pray for all of those who are under persecution right now, that the power of the Holy Spirit may move mightily in and around them, causing them to feel comfort coming directly from you. Father, there is the issue that is revealed to us in Revelation as to these saints that were under the altar, saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Father, we know doctrinally that it is true that the day is coming when you will take vengeance upon all those who harm your son's bride. We ask for a wake-up call, a great revival. I truly believe in you, God, that there's going to be a great revival before the great rapture. Lord God, we should all want to be a part of this revival. So we ask that you would motivate our souls, enlighten our minds, and release the Holy Spirit within each of us to be a part of this great revival. As for me, Lord, there's nothing more exciting than understanding the meaning that you have behind the seven seals. And I pray as we go through studying the book of Revelation that you would cause the Holy Spirit to illumine understanding and a motivation to truly accept what you are saying as absolute truth. As we war with cultural issues today, I pray that the true authentic body of Christ would not become entangled in issues, but that we would set our minds on the truth that you have already written and recorded in your holy book. Father, you know that we pray in the power and authority of Jesus' name. There is no other name that we can pray in to release power. We deny ourselves and accept you, your life, your will, and your ways through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
you ever asked this question of yourself? What was God's original intent for creation? Most people today view God's creation as a means in which he could be glorified and have relationships. While this is true, it is not the complete truth. Hebrew law requires a firstborn son of a Hebrew father to be married. It was not optional. God required this of his people because he wanted them to pass down the seed of the word and the seed of the bloodline. We understand that God created all things for his purpose. Each of the created things in God's creation of heaven and earth revealed qualities and characteristics of God the Father. As in any artist, anything that you put on the paper, it is a reflection what is in you. And this certainly was the case with God. Another question that a lot of people will ask is, what's the new heaven and the new earth all about? The common thinking and belief in regard to the new earth is that God will refine this present earth. The reason why this is not good theology is because the scriptures tell us that he will crack open the earth, he would put Satan in the pit, the burning hell, all of the demons, and all those who followed Satan. There's no logic or godological sense in God taking the new earth and us having tormented souls under our feet for eternity. And plus, in a roundabout way, it would put them in the renewal of the old earth. When the scriptures talk about a new earth, that is exactly what he is talking about. A new earth. In scripture where it says that Jesus is preparing a place for his bride, that is not something he's doing here on this old earth. He is presently working on this new earth because out of his own mouth is where we find this confession. When he is finished with this new earth, it will perfectly align itself with the scriptures being revealed to us in the book of Revelation. When he says unto his father that he has finished this place, God will release him to return to the earth and finish unfinished business of his father. We want to welcome you to our weekly online church service. We are on a journey talking about the precious details that are contained in the book of Revelation for the body of Christ and the punishment that the world is going to experience at a chosen time that God has selected. Today we're going to be talking about the opening of the seals. Last week we talked about the seals of 1 through 4, and today we're going to be talking about the seals 4 and 5. Feel free to contact me personally. My name is Dr. Stephen Finney, and I will be your teacher today. Let's take a look at our passage that we're going to be teaching and preaching on. It's out of Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 through 11. Now here's what it says. The Lamb breaks open two more seals. And it says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come! And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had a name, Death, and Hades was following him. Authority was given to him over the fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And because of the testimony which they had maintained, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, 
How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. Let's take a look at our overview of the Ashen Horse. Remember, the title of Death in Hades is attached to this particular horse and rider. These judgments of God are getting stronger by the seal. Ashen is the color of transitional death. This horseman is called Death in Hades. For those of you who are new to the term Hades, Hades is the description of damnation and torment before God opens up the new title, Hell, which will occur after judgment. So Hades is before judgment, and Hell is after judgment. The type of torture and damnation that they experience in Hades is much different than what they will experience in Hell. The Greek word used here is that death and hell follows alongside. This ashen death is the consequences of all the followers of Satan and will be given their life forever after, or should I say death, living death, once God has completed the thousand-year reign. Looking at our critical note, judgments are increasing as each horse shows up on the scene. Without question, we are dealing with the analogy of death and Hades, soon to be hell, and everlasting punishment. Everlasting punishment. The twins of darkness, death and Hades, are the spirit guides of the bodies and souls of the men, women, and children, butchered during Satan's mass grave payback of humanity. Please keep in mind that the timeline of God, the judgment part of those that go to hell, will not be conducted until the thousand-year reign. During that thousand-year reign, there will be a hundred percent control by Jesus Christ himself. If you remember in the book of Revelation, it talks about God and Jesus Christ chaining up Satan in his triune, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the beast. He chains them and throws them into the pit for that one thousand years. This is so that there will be no evil or temptation on the earth during judgment. It is at that time Satan will have to give up his prisoners, and they will be brought before the great white throne, judged and cast into the lake of fire by God himself. In looking at death in Hades, they were given to Satan by God. He didn't form it. He, as in Satan, didn't form it, steal it, or invent it. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth. The authority that Satan throws around in these final days that terrifies many was given to him by God. This is considered the element that enrages Satan more than anything else. God planned it, which makes God the one in control of it. The phrase over a fourth of the earth needs our special attention and correct interpretation. Many interpret this passage to be saying that Satan only has global government control over a fourth of the earth. The proper context is this. They, in this passage, is the demonic beings of death and Hades, not Satan himself. 
death in Hades will not be able to touch the tribulation Christians, which are those 144,000 Jews, and certainly will not be able to touch the land of Judah. As with the example of Maximus, with whom the history of organized persecution begins, was a beast in his ranks. Even though he was known for his slaughter, for sport, of Christians, he was an inhumane killer of God's creation. He was an insecure man who found security in using fear for political gain. He had a track record of killing over 4,000 humans just for fun, men, women, children, who had no evidence passed upon them for any of them committing crimes. This power-hungry murderer birthed many generations of the beast, who, by the way, emptied generations of villages, cities, countries, of men, women, children that threatened the structure of Satan, the false prophet, and the beast. God has faithfully allowed one beast per generation to remind us of what's to come. The beast, the book of Revelation speaks of, will make these Hitler types look like kindergarten bullies. Historically, I can say this. None of these leaders actually had 100% control over the entire earth, only the percentage which God allows. Indwell Christians, Jews, and the land of Judah will never be on their list of accomplishments. The demonic twins of darkness will only carry out the percentage of destruction allowed by the Book of Life. Let's talk about those gravekeepers. Death and Hades are merely used by God to conduct a business of the Almighty. It is around this time that Satan and all of his followers begin to realize that all of life is on the timeline of the living God. They quickly see that their years manipulating were for naught. And they, followers of Satan, are simply pawns, or somebody who is held as security or hostage. It must be horribly frustrating for Satan for him to realize that every movie makes has already been pre-planned by the living God. Thus far, we have noted that there are three instruments of judgment under each seal. But there are four instruments listed in this seal. Like in Ezekiel 14.21, it says, For thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beasts, and plague to cut off man and beast from it. The sword named under the second seal, and the hunger named under the third seal, is brought upon the people once again, or possibly coupled with two additional ones, pestilence and wild beasts on the earth. So asking ourselves, well, what's really going on here? Well, know this. Hunger follows pestilence. And when the beast has no vegetation to feed on, they get a little irritated. During this time, stupid intellectuals, and I mean that from an intellectual definition, Those who regard showing a lack of intelligence and perception and common sense of the living God. That is truly a stupid, smart person. These quote-unquote intelligent people will blame the environment and man for attempting to defile the environment. 
so they will be filled with issues relating to scientific disaster, according to Job 18.3. In the long run, the greatest percentage of satanic followers will buy into the illogical logic and be devoured by the beast of the field, probably literally. Please keep in mind that stupid people are stupid because they are spiritually dead, and they remain stupid until they die. That's found in Psalms 92.6 and also Psalms 94.8. When the rapture of the church takes place, it stands to reason that a percentage of the world's population will be minus most of the humble farmer-type people. It would be wise of us to take a look at one of the ramifications of the rapture. Since it is easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than it is to get a rich man into heaven, well, I guess that the majority of the people left on earth will be like spoiled rich kids. What does that mean? Well, most spoiled rich kids throw temper tantrums when they don't get their way. Can you imagine the world filled with spoiled humans that are suffering from the four judgments of the fourth seal? Spoiled rich kids have always been a good example of displaying the ways Satan has demanded of God. If this is true, Satan is about to get some of his own. These spoiled ones will be overwhelmed with the business of protecting their stuff. What few farmers remain, well, there just won't be enough to go around. And in these times, people will kill for a carrot. Another element we will talk about at a later time is the mark of the beast. This mark will significantly affect the ability of people to buy, sell, or trade. No mark, no food. The individuals that take this mark will be condemned to the twins, death and Hades. Let's take a look at the fifth seal, the slain souls. Just to quickly give you the scriptures again, it says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and because of the testimony which had been maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judgment and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It needs to be noted that when the fifth seal is opened, there is yet another change in the dynamics of God's focus. Each of the seals, up to this point, is revealing the characteristics of the work of the enemy globally. And the last three seals are disclosing how the enemy directly affects the body of Christ. In this passage, we have an interesting dynamic being revealed to us. Remembering when it said, Underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and because of the testimony which they had maintained. A critical note that you need to remember here is the passage that says, Those who endure to the end, those shall be saved, is exactly what this is referencing. There are many people who claim to be Christians, but they do not maintain their testimony until the end. That's bad news. Here we have saints of old waiting on the Father to unleash his vengeance on those who persecuted the body of Christ. 
This passage reveals several things to me, one being that true indwelled Christians will remember on the other side, and two, that we will care for those that dwell upon the earth. This passage rejects the belief that we are mindless on the other side or that we do not remember the effects of sin when we are in heaven. This is a clear testimony of that. Jesus said it, John recorded it, and it became truth. Another significant factor is shown to us is that the saints are not given the prerogative to come up to the altar until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were killed and completed. Their position of saintliness is being contained underneath the altar until God pleads his purification process with all the believers. So much for special favors. God's actions are revealing a part of his character that the saints of old and the brethren on earth have not seen before. Even though the scriptures reveal to us the loving, merciful, and graceful God, we are about to see God fulfill a promise stated to us through the ages. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, it says, Vengeance is mine, and retribution in due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. It's always amazing to me that the prophecies in the Old Testament are literally brought to fulfillment in this one single book, the book of Revelation. One of the most sobering moments in my life is when I realize that God keeps track of every word, deed, and thought that any man or spiritual being has ever had. Listen to this. Matthew sixteen twenty seven says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Ouch! Matthew twelve thirty six through 37, it says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For my words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Your opinion doesn't matter to me. And the reason why it doesn't matter to me is because if you're not quoting the opinions of God, you're activating this verse in your life. Do you realize that every man, demon, and spiritual beast that thrusted any form of insult, persecution, or difficulty upon the saints of old or new will be harshly dealt with by God at the opening of this seal? In these final times, God will put his breastplate of righteousness, his helmet of salvation, and then his garment of vengeance. After clothed with the attire of godhood, he will repay every droplet of bloodshed of the saints by dumping every ounce of stored wrath upon all those who dared to insult the bride of Jesus Christ, his son. Those who live by the sword will die an eternal death by the sword of the living God. Harsh, you may ask? I hope so. I don't want to spend the rest of eternity with a God who passively sits back uses social justice in some kind of lukewarm way, hiding behind the skirt of passivity, which would ultimately end up abusing the bride of Christ. No, that's not the God we serve. It is not the husband we're married to. 
You harm a woman, and God shall write it down. And this is exactly what he has done in regard to paying back all those who hurt, harmed, insulted the bride of Christ. It says in the scriptures, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those on the earth? Well, Jesus is not a wife-beater, nor does he tolerate those who treat women in like manner. Protection of the Lord, God's Son, and his bride is top priority. If you do not see the profound truth in this holy scripture that is being stated before us, Throughout the book of Revelation, you are blind and probably unsaved. Satan and his followers are wife-beaters. They diligently work to harm God's marriage plans for his son by attacking the bride of Christ. It has always been a target for him. Simple plan, simple revenge. The act of revenge cannot occur until God comes and removes the bridal members from the face of the earth. It's called the rapture. Taking a look at the persecuted saints of tribulation, we need to keep this profound and simple truth intact. The first believers after the rapture will be the 144,000 bloodline Jews who will be severely persecuted. Bless those who receive Christ before such a day. Generalized non-believers will be butchered in the name of Satan. But it says that slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. The word of God faithfully declared brings persecution from the world and the devil and even those who are fake Christians. We call them Christ followers. When these first preachers of the word deliver the pure message of truth, there will be a few on earth who will listen. But those who do... There will be a price tag that few have faced in the continuous history of eternity. During these times, there will be major demonic delusions and lies that support this man who has the plan, the Antichrist. The blunt reality is that they believe not the truth, but at pleasure in unrighteousness. That's out of 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. Once the rapture occurs, there will be individuals evangelized only by the Spirit of the Lord. Secondly, those evangelized will be that select group of the 144,000 Jews. The reason being, all the existing Christians were raptured. The post-raptured Christians will be these Jews, who will go out through the Antichrist One World System and government, which the book of Revelation refers to as the New Roman Empire. Each will be immovable in declaring God as the Holy God. It is in this act that will arouse hatred like never seen before on the earth. These 144,000 do survive, and this is when Satan realizes the conclusion of God's plan for him is upon him. Matthew 24:14 says the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. The primary converts during this time will be Jesus's bloodline brothers. That's according to Matthew 25 verse 40. 
The age of the Gentile will be pretty much over by this time. The Antichrist will have this complete system in place, one world government, the universal church, and of course one currency. The we, the people, will be under a strong delusion, believing in the message of the Antichrist, and each of them is moments away from damnation, and they don't realize it. For those Jews whom God chooses to be converted to Messianic Christianity, well, let's just say it won't be like going forward in church on Sunday morning. These individuals will know the cost of a decision. They will understand the biblical meaning of contentment. And of course, it will be after they suffer at the torturous hand of Satan. For the followers of Satan, the first three and a half years of this great tribulation will be the most peaceful the world has ever seen. The second half of the tribulation is a tad bit different, as hell is going to break loose. All continuous history leading up to the rapture, the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, suppresses the passions of ungodly people. Still, when the Holy Spirit is no longer housed within the humans after the rapture, Satan will have full limited power in the hearts and lives of the masses. This is primarily due to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that will not be present to provide discernment and stability. The testimony of the Jewish conversions during the tribulation will be much different than yours and mine during the Age of Grace. This group of Messianic Christians is the final chosen martyrs that testify to the kingdom of God. This is who Jesus is referring to in our passage. Each of them will preach that Jesus, our husband, will be coming to set up a thousand-year reign here on earth. That does not go well with Satan. I cannot emphasize enough how important these testimonies are to the Lord. Hardship today is minimal compared to these martyred messianic Christians. Since the testimony of these saints will be strictly focused on the kingdom of Christ, this message and their testimonies become the worst threat to Satan in all of continuous history. Revelation 6-9 poses an interesting thought. These saints are in heaven. They are redeemed, but they did not pray as Jesus prayed. Remember, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They did not pray as other saints prayed for grace and mercy, so we need to ask ourselves, what's up with this? My dear believer, this is because the age of grace will be over by this time. All of heaven will be crying out for justice and revenge. If you want to put a label to this particular phase of God's timeline, it's justice and revenge. If you think your average present-day lukewarm follower thinks God is harsh, wait until the age of grace, or the Holy Spirit is removed through the indwelled Christians on earth, harsh will be an understatement. As for today, I pray the power of God's grace over all who refuse to gaze into the face of Jesus and listen to his calling. Grace is for present dispensation freed from the harshness of the law. But this too shall come to pass. The fifth seal is transitioning us into a new era of God the Father. They, and hopefully you, will be one of the they that will be crying out for the sovereign ruler to take revenge.
The one who has the right and the prerogative to use his power any way in which he chooses will be the order of the day. If you know the same Hebrew father as I do, you will know that all responsible Hebrew fathers will avenge their son's oppressors, particularly those who mess with the bride he chooses for his only son. Christian persecution today is likened to a bunch of hangnails that won't heal, broken down cars, a neighbor who dislikes us, on a really bad day made fun of for what we believe. Our response, according to statistics, is we sue them. We still live in an age of grace. We need to be turning the other cheek, return good for evil, and praying for God's favor for those that hurt us. The age of revenge is coming soon enough. So here is our conclusion. Stop protecting what is wrong and begin defending what is righteous by living the age of dispensing his grace. Keep in mind, you will have plenty of time, very soon, to cry out for revenge. Let's take a look at our I am in Christ statements for today. The first one is, I am chosen. Keep in mind that Jesus is the one that chose us. We did not choose him. We simply accept the position. Secondly, I am justified before God. Justified means just as if I did not sin. So when we are before God, he does not see our sin. Once we become indwelt, born again by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. I am accepted. Very favorite passage for a lot of people is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. We don't perform for his love. We don't try for his love. We don't earn his love. We are purely accepted upon the moment of salvation. Then I am saved. That's a positive statement that we can make if we authentically receive Jesus Christ into our lives. The only thing that matters after that is will your testimony maintain to the end. If your testimony maintains itself to the end, you shall be saved for eternity. There's a lot of confusion in security of salvation, but God makes it clear. Those who endure to the end, those shall be saved. I am alive. We're no longer dead or fighting the deeds of darkness or the flesh even though those things can overcome us from time to time. We're never dead again. We are alive and remain alive for eternity. I am loved. Romans 5, five. It's a critical piece today since the majority of culture is pushing for love, love, but you see there's no real love. True love is the life of God because God said, I am love. And finally, I am a cared for bridal member of Jesus Christ. John six thirty seven makes that very clear to us. He cares for us. Many times it doesn't feel that way when there's no food on the table or clothes on our back, but he truly does care for us in spite of our circumstances. We thank you for joining us today. It was good to have you with us. We really hope and pray that you stay with us during this series We have many more teachings to come regarding the book of Revelation. And we're glad that you were with us today. Until next time.